Hey all, just a quick note before we start this episode. This episode was recorded back in April, so apologies for any references that are dated. So, on to the show. Hey and welcome back to Game Talk. I'm your host, Amid Mion. Today I'm joined by Connor. Hey guys. And Mike. Hello. And today, I think we want to talk about big paradigm shifts in gaming. So, we, we, we've we discussed this kind of lightly in the past, but every so often, every few years, there is a huge, I would say, seismic shift in the way we play games. And some of those shifts are bigger than others, right? So, the biggest one that comes to mind is the shift from 2D to 3D, and maybe a more recent one is the emergence of VR, but maybe we can start at the shift from 2D to 3D. This is always an interesting one for me to read about because I personally never experienced this. Uh, me neither. Not really. Because like the first game I ever played was Super Mario World. The third game I ever played, I think, was Super Mario 64. <laughs> so I know the second game I ever played was Star Fox, which was 3D. So I guess I never really I, I kind of experienced it in a way. Yeah, our, our age range is kind of on the cusp, right? Because, like, right. my first console was an N64, and I wish it wasn't, right? Just going back, like, so hearing stories, like... My first console was a Super NES, but I was born in 1996, so, like, Super Mario 64 was out by the time I was born. I just, you know... Yeah, we... Yeah. Playing the old stuff. We do be in that weird era, right between the genera- the split... I, I don't have any memories because I think the first game I played was, you know, I don't even remember. I think it was, I think it was uh, that, that racing, that plane racing game. <laughs> See, that's funny. That, that just scarred a, me for life. It's such a vivid memory for me. No, yeah. like the first, one of the first games I played was Wild Arms and I think Zelda as well. Which one? Uh, Ocarina of Time. Okay. So yeah, you, you kind of started 3D then. I mean, oh. yeah, I guess... The person who's experienced it the most, oddly enough, is you, Connor, because you started with a 2D game and then started, your next yeah, game was a 3D game. But I remember my mind was blown playing Super Mario 64, like, compared to Super Mario World, like, especially because, like, I did not play that game the way it was intended. It actually was more or less the first open world game I ever played because the, the copy I got had a completed save on it and I didn't understand that in my kid brain. I guess I just okay. thought that you could go wherever you wanted and hang out in Peach's Castle. <laughs> and that was the I game. did also yeah. play... Uh, I played Link to the Past at some point in there, too, I think. It like, it all blends together. I don't barely remember that period in my life. Yeah. Yeah, college, man, I can only imagine... College pushed I, that out. Dude, there's also, like, the arcade to console shift, too, that is, like... That was huge. That's yeah, I didn't, I, know a lot I didn't about. experience that yeah. either. <laughs> Well, I didn't experience. Well, I didn't experience it in real time, but I like know a good bit about it because I yeah. think it's fascinating because the game design is so completely different. Yeah, yeah. You went from something that's designed to eat quarters to something that doesn't have to be abnormally hard to eat quarters. And, interestingly enough, I would I would argue that the two D to three D transition was far more graceful than the arcade to home console transition. Oh yeah. Could you imagine oh, yeah. if Dark Souls came out in the arcade era? wouldn't be that different would it it really wouldn't it would, people would hate it the only no difference would, like would be it. like you just start the game over when you die it'd, be, it'd be just as expensive too it's still you'd still be set back 60 dollars yeah, I, yeah I'm, I'm pretty sure it wouldn't be as popular if say a game 
like a modern from software game came out in the arcade era. Because no one would want to like spend sixty dollars and quarters trying yeah. to. No, but I mean, but the, the games boss. in the arcade area were were characterized by being kind of bite sized and repeatable, yeah. right? Like they were meant to be small. Yeah, you'd never have a Dark Souls in an arcade machine, right? Yeah, but then some of my favorite games were still pretty bite sized and repeatable. Super Mario Bros. Three, Castlevania. That's just because yeah. of their age. Yeah, they were still, but they, you know, they were informed by that design. I mean, I yeah. think right. Castlevania might have been an arcade game in Japan. No, I mean, like, there back then, there was definitely a lot of design carryover between arcade and early yeah, consoles. Like yeah, the average... The, game had a score. the average arcade sense. game could be completed, or I think all arcade games could be completed at max in, like, eight or nine hours. I'm gonna have to add a completely arbitrary score counter to my next game that I make. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you can still see... kind of say know. that in jest, but, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like a score counter has never hurt a game. Like, it's always... It's, it's just always just kind of there. I disagree. Look at I it. think that the score counter hurts you in uh, Super Mario 3D World. Why Why is that? Because when you play multiplayer, uh, it maybe this was just my particular friend group, but I had people that I could not play that game with because they would get so mad at me oh. because my score would be the highest because, you know, I'm, yeah, it's I play video games more than them. Yeah. And there, there just really was no need for that. Okay, I mean, but that sounds like more of a yeah. problem. <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't know. Like the, I do have like a a fondness for arcades, despite never growing up with them. Like I, I definitely kind of yearn for that era. Like, hey, dude. So I know you've been to Starport in Morgantown, right? Right. Yeah. Rest in peace. It, it was nice. Huntington, West Virginia. It's called Old North now, which is kind of lame compared to its old name, which was Quicksilver. That place was nuts. It is the coolest barcade I've ever seen in my life. It was so fun. Yeah, you like, wouldn't think something like that would be in Huntington. But you know, that, no, Huntington actually, like, this is yeah. this is shocking. Huntington is actually kind of incredible. Like Game Talk, Game Talk trip to Huntington? Yeah, a <laughs> little bit. But no, yeah, so, like, they, have, they had all these drinks based on, like, video games. Like, I got a very... A very uh, a flamboyant, I guess, would be the word. Drink called a fairy fountain, but I know it was gluten free and <laughs> Zelda, celiac yeah. disease. So I think it was, and it was delicious. Yeah, I think Starport had something similar. They just didn't openly advertise it. See, yeah. Star okay, so we're we're talking about our very local experiences here, but like Starport was really, really cool and really fun. Probably top three places in Morgan Starport County. had a lot of passion but to it. What I will say, uh, I the other arcade bar, barcade. In Warren Fallout Shelter, right? Fallout Shelter. Fallout Shelter's gone now. Been there. It's gone. Yeah, it, 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 no, I mean it's history. Ago. It's been gone for a while now. But like, it was so. It was just cozy, right? Like, because they had yeah. like couches set up. They had retro consoles everywhere. Like, yeah. it was, so, so like it was actually was so owned cool. by a uh, former Bandalum too. So that was what was cool about Quicksilver is it had both. There was like a couch set up with just a PS4, and like it typically had Mortal Kombat 10, I think, or 11. Oh, that's always fun. It's always fun to be playing a fighting game in a public environment. Yeah. So th there was just a couch set up, but it had other games. It was, that was just the one people were typically playing. But they also had, they had a Dreamcast with Marvel vs. Capcom at one of the bars. They had uh, the SNES and NES Classic. I remember I was hanging there with some friends and I was like, hey, want to see me beat uh, Super Mario Bros. 3 in like 25 minutes? And I just did. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> while cool we were kind of drunk. Yeah. And it was... So like, I, I yearn for that arcade experience. I had oh, yeah. so much fun at Quicksilver. Definitely. Because the thing, the modern arcade is not built upon trying to get your quarters as fast as possible, but no, to provide it's a unique experience. You to buy drinks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Buy drinks and to have like an experience with your friends. 
Right. Arcades evolved to keep up with consoles because now they're not the only source of video games. That was the other thing. Every game at Quicksilver was free. Yeah. Uh, except for Dance Dance Revolution, I think. They were I think free. S- Starport had their own tokens, but largely they were yeah. pretty affordable. Yeah. And none of the games were real token hogs either. Free was nice because it was like, you know, I was the designated driver and I wasn't bored, you know? Yeah. So, I was going to say, like, arcade games still... I mean, it's rare, but they still have some kind of crossover with console games. Yeah. What was that one, like, eight-player arcade game that's really fun? It uh, came to Queen. Yes. Killer Queen. Uh, Killer Queen. Yes. Yeah, I loved. Really the they had reference. Killer Queen at Starport for a while, and it was such a blast. My God. Yeah. What a cool I, idea I for a game. I have that on my PC, too, because play, I played it some of the pandemic. Yeah. That they was also not, had that like but that game, that game in an arcade setting, geez, it was that was insane, yeah. That was so much fun. And they like yeah. the arcades really knew their audience too, like in modern day, they had like cup holders in the arcade machines. And right, stuff. yeah. Yeah. Very they cool. they know what they need to do. Yeah. And like I remember like the weird like Mario Kart knockoff yeah. like driving games. No, there was like, a re- I, it was, there's a it legit a Mario Kart. Yeah, there was an oh, arcade yeah? Mario Kart. There is yeah, an guess, arcade yeah. Mario Kart with the with uh, Taiko-chan you know, or whatever. Like, it didn't seem very Nintendo-sanctioned. It wasn't but like, made by Nintendo. I'm pretty sure it was made by Capcom. Yeah, I okay, think Capcom yeah. made it, but they got all the licensing from Nintendo. Yeah. No, th- I mean, that was a lot of fun, too. Like, man, I miss I miss having a good regular arcade to go to. Oh, yeah, I miss too. Starport in Morgantown. I, yeah, yeah, granted, Starport. It might come I, back. I was kind of disappointed earlier, hopefully. but I would be there if it was still around. I, it's, I love Starport. It's supposed to come back at some point. Yeah, but I, I, they, people I mean, keep saying the that they've not had a building either. Like it's happened yeah. before. Yeah, they allegedly have a building. They just haven't updated us at all in the last seven or eight months. I'll be there. Fallout Shelter, though. Like, oh, yeah. that, I feel like that was really a labor of love because, like, to get there, like, it was like a it was hidden a, entrance in a basement. behind like a yeah. bookshelf. Yeah, yeah. Gabby yeah. told me it felt like just hanging at some dude's house. Yeah, that's what it felt like. Because I think me and Gab went there together just to explore it. it. it and was, I noticed, I, I noticed it. one of the signs was actually stolen from a football game. Because <laughs> it was, it was one of the band steal signs, or one of the signs that the band members always stole. Yeah, because I think I have one too. <laughs> We went off the rails here a little bit, but I, I do. Yeah, I love the arcade experience. I also like have a in. So I, I categorize my Steam library and I have a pretty big uh, category of games that I consider basically arcade games. And I think it's notable that I put every roguelike in that genre. Because yeah, I can see I mean, playing a roguelike in an arcade. There's something and, to that. I think. And that's like my favorite. Genre. Yeah, no, if, if there was a Spelunky machine. Don't think for a minute that I wouldn't be spending my whole evening at, there at an arcade. No, roguelikes definitely translate extremely well to arcade. Like yeah. I feel like you could almost well, you pretty could much almost just put a any quarter. roguelike yeah. you could make into an arcade machine. Yeah, <laughs> Splunky, But every time you die, you have to throw a quarter into a jar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I could just have that in my house. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, so yeah, like I, I think, but I definitely wasn't around for that transition. You know, I, I no. was. To, you know 10 years from being born yeah that was that was definitely a golden era in the, I, like what i like think the 80s or whatever like another sub paradigm shift that happened around that time as well was the shift to joysticks yeah yeah, yeah the that, analog that sticks the 2D yeah to 3d yeah yeah that happened roughly at the same time and yeah. that was yeah, more I mean, influential like that, something like that was then. definitely necessary because now you could move 
in guess. 3D space in any direction. Yeah. I, before. I'm pro joystick. Like, I think a joystick is a superior way to move in 3D space. Spyro plays perfectly fine without a joystick. Like, Nintendo yeah. definitely exaggerates how mandatory, especially since they've made a bunch of 3D games since then that work on a D-pad. Well, without without a stick, you're limited to what, like eight directions, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, sort of. Depends. Eight on directions, analog work. input. No, the real thing is the digital input versus analog input. The ability yeah. to have fine-tuned inputs instead right. of what was previously, you're either one or zero. Yeah. Yeah, I do wonder, like, if that took a bit... Like for for the avid gamers back in the day, if that took like a bit of mental rewiring to get used to. Oh, it, it for sure did. Every single hundred oh, percent. Like, I mean, I I can't remember what game this is, but the first game that ever was a like a twin stick first person shooter, uh, it got raked over the coals in reviews for having unintuitive camera controls. Mm, yeah, <laughs> which is you know very funny, considering that's what everybody does now. Yeah, ahead of its time. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that that was an interesting one, Mike. I wouldn't have thought of that. I, but, uh, I mean, we could go to the opposite end of the spectrum here and talk about the most recent major shift, I would argue, is the emergence of VR, right? Yeah, and I, I think that it's very different from any of the others because, like... This is a whole sub-genre like, of development. Like, home consoles did replace the arcade, and... For the most part, 3D gaming did replace 2D gaming for a long time. And yeah. VR's not ever going to do that. VR's not going to replace 2D gaming. It doesn't right. even, it doesn't, I don't even think anyone in VR has that ambition, except maybe Mark Zuckerberg, and he's an idiot. Yeah, VR is not going to replace your standard PC. It's going to supplement it. It's a supplemental form of gaming. Yeah, like I've said that there there is definitely a world where VR headsets get nice enough that I have a VR headset instead of monitors. Like, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to be playing 2D games in them. Yeah, I would still argue, like, even though, like, obviously it's not going to replace traditional gaming, like, it is a paradigm shift, right? Like, because I remember, like, putting on that headset for the first time and, you know, people can describe it to you all, all the, all the no, day. It's, it's life changing. But like, yeah, yeah you not, put it on really. and you're inside of the game. Yeah. And it's just, you, you can hear about it, but until you experience it, you don't fully understand what that really means. The novelty is very high. Yeah, I think, like, the modern-day VR is kind of suffering because people want to turn it into just real life. It's Here's also thing. suffering I mean, like, from a lack of major games. Like, yeah. Half-Life Alex is it, like, as far as major... And that's going to change soon with PSVR, too. And yeah. I can probably I think, say a little bit to that. But there has not been a major release, like... in if There hasn't been a major AAA release in VR in a very long time. The last one I can think of is Half-Life Alex, and the last major release in general that I can think of is uh, I Expect You to Die 2, and, you know, there are people that have not heard of I Expect You to Die. Like, it did not have the cultural, it's big, but it's indie, you know? Yeah. yeah. No, no, like you said, VR does have a bit of a games problem right now. I do think that games problem will be solved. And just regarding all the metaverse stuff, I think any emerging technology is going to have its growing pains, and I do believe metaverse is one of those growing pains. Yeah. I think once we get past it, we can get into what VR can really do, uh, and I'm excited for that. Yeah, I, I think we've I, I could do a whole episode of just the metaverse and why it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So I will spare us, but there's a lot of pushback against putting on a VR headset and just being advertised to. Uh, like, no also, one's going to want to do that. I've said it many times, like the friction between 
me sitting on my couch and picking up a controller and turning on the TV is significantly lower than the friction between me sitting on the couch, getting up, putting on a headset, strapping on the controllers, you know. Right. Yeah. Moving, you know, doing what is essentially light cardio (laughs) for a while. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. That friction is, I mean, I'm sure that's at the top of a lot of these developers' priority list, or uh, not developers, but manufacturers' priority list is to reduce that friction. I, yeah, like, the the avenue that Valve took with the Valve Index was like, hey, we get that this friction is high. It, it takes a second to put a headset on. It takes a second to strap the controllers on. So we made a headset that is comfortable. Like, you right. could wear this and play video games for many hours without taking it on and off. Uh, and I think that's a good solution for some cases, but I can counter that easily by saying Beat Saber is like my favorite VR game. And it's super fun to play as a party game. Like, you know, swapping the headset between friends and everything and seeing who can do better. And Beat Saber is not one of those extended play. No, Beat Saber, yeah, you're going to get tired. You're going to get exhausted eventually. Yeah, you're, you're good for like two hours Beat Saber tops, like, and that's oh, if yeah. you're in decent shape. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there is something to be said, right? Obviously, people don't want to be exerting that much energy while they're gaming, but there is something to be said about, that like... that's true. Like, I, I was going to say, not- there is something to be said about, like, the the physicality of vr as well and kind of using that as a bridge between like an active lifestyle and gaming yeah no I, a beat saber i mean beat saber has mods that track how many calories you're burning and stuff yeah frankly it's good cardio more you yeah. know it's not it's not swimming but it's good cardio it's you know it's probably as good if not better than like walking on an incline or something like it's I yeah yeah I am not opposed to getting a workout doing VR. I actually think that's great. the The problem for me is like I need a game good enough to get me off my mm-hmm. butt to do it, and we just haven't got those in so long. Yeah, Half Life Alex really being the only one I can think of that that doesn't lean really hard on just the novelty because even I expect you to die. I think it's brilliant, but it you know it's a seated. There's just not a ton going on, right? Yeah. I do really want to play. I expect you to die too, though. I do want to give a shout out, as always, to Astro, uh, Astrobot Rescue Mission. Yeah. yeah which, uh, in yeah, a different I, world, I that would be. It, it, I feel like if that game was more. I don't even want to say fleshed out because I think it was plenty fleshed out, but like if that game was maybe more advertised and put in front of VR, maybe released on PC, that game yeah. could have been like the it, Mario 64 of VR. It couldn't be on PC though. That was what was so nuts. I, I That's what I think is so cool about Astrobot Rescue is like it is the only game I've ever played that made me think that the light bar on the back of the PS4 controller was a good idea. Like, because mm-hmm. like you don't, you know. You can't play that game on a PC because you don't have controller tracking. You would have to like rebind right, a lot yeah. of things to make it work on traditional VR controllers. That's true, yeah. And that's that's fascinating to me. I I think you could probably make it work on the index controllers. That's kind of another problem VR has is that if you sit down to make a VR game, you really can't utilize any specific controller features because no, uh, well, that's a lie. You can make a game for the Quest 2 and you'll be pretty okay. Uh, But like, you know, the Valve Index finger tracking and stuff, not a lot of games use that for anything meaningful because they can't assume anyone's going to have it because the Valve Index doesn't have that big of a market uh, penetration, you know? Right. It's not like the NES where everybody had it. You had your four buttons and a D-pad. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, in terms of, like, 
the overall gaming landscape. I would say 2D to 3D and VR are the big horse ones, armor. Right? Right, horse armor. Yeah, no, nah, I mean, the that's huge. It was a pretty significant shift in the gaming landscape, and it was not one unlike unlike the others we're talking about, which I think people have been pretty happy about. People were not happy about DLC, like, yeah, the introduction of DLC is was horse armor actually like the first one? No. It was the f- it was the first kind of one to to kind of small microtransaction. Yeah. yeah. It, before that, there were always the concept of downloadable content. Yeah, like was the Sims had expansion packs. Like expansion before. packs. Yeah. But Horse Armor was the first one to be called DLC. I yeah. think Mass Effect is the one that, like, Horse Armor was pretty bad, but Mass Effect DLC was when it really made people mad, or at least that era, because that was the era of day one DLC, which people had. That was, probably. I think the first Mass Effect day one DLC was actually three. Okay. Yeah. I two or three. right. Yeah, I just yeah. remember there being a huge mass because three had Javik. Yeah, it was because Javik was on the disc, but you needed mm-hmm. to buy the. Yeah, and I agree with people that that whatever to get him a bad taste in your mouth. Now, you know, granted, now we don't buy discs at all uh, for the most part. Yeah. Well, I was just gonna say like all of the horse armor and like the nickel and diming for like five dollars for another character, or whatever. That was all the precursor to microtransactions. It was yeah. definitely. In a different reality, right, like, when when these developers were like, hey, we're going to try and do this just to see if we can, and if they, in a different reality, they it, it didn't work, I wonder if we would even have the microtransaction-laden ecosystem that we do today, right? I mean... But I definitely feel like all of that was leading ob- up to this Oblivion in itself was actually a paradigm shift. Yeah. Yeah, in okay, so, yeah, mention, that, that story you mentioned fascinated me. About, yeah, uh, yeah. You want to tell as us? as the words of Miyazaki himself. After Oblivion launched, Sony came up to From Software and asked them to make a fantasy RPG. So they made Demon Souls, and yeah. now look at what just came out and what yeah. smashed sales yeah. records or whatever. So Elden Ring, it's a lineage. It's funny thing. The funny things like that. It's it's fascinating to me in this industry. You see these little ripples, and then a decade plus later, they turn into a massive tsunami. You know, yeah. It's they. So Sony owns Demon Souls, the IP. From Software made that for them, and you'd think if that IP, like Demon Souls, was still very niche, right? Like there was definitely a hardcore fan base for it, but it was a niche thing. Sony saw it, wasn't really interested in pursuing their relationship with From Software further. And then they release Dark Souls, and that catches fire. Yeah. And then Sony comes back and is like, okay, we maybe we do really like you. And then, you know, they make Bloodborne for Sony. But the point being, if, if Demon's Souls had been the one instead of Dark Souls that went crazy viral, we could be living in a world where Sony, or where From Software is a Sony first-party studio. Yeah. That would that'd be, be that'd be a wild world. Yeah, but uh, I'm sure Sony kicks themselves every day for not moving on that like a decade ago when no one really cared who From Software was. I don't know that that's fair. Uh, Armored Core had its fans. Yeah, no, you're right. What was it? Kingsfield, Armored Core. They had its fans, but yeah, like I don't know about Kingsfield. I don't know much about that. But Armored Core. I remember playing Armored Core as a kid. I didn't know who FromSoft was, but I liked Armored Core. Yeah, but like I mean, to to their credit, like who could have guessed, right? Like who could have yeah. guessed that this is where they would end up? But I mean, I'm sure they they do think what could have been, right? Oh yeah. But, How could you not? I mean, 
But yeah, I mean, another big shift, I mean, we're getting to smaller shifts now because we already covered all the big shifts, but talking individual games, the shifts to open world, I kind of want to talk about, right? Yeah. What a what yeah. mistake. <laughs> I don't, th- I, okay, that's going a little far, but like. I, I disagree. I think, I think the wide acceptance of open world games as like a trend is a mistake. There are great open world games. I like GTA 5. I like Elden Ring a lot, obviously. There is no reason for Halo Infinite to be an open world game, and it, I think, it yeah. is so, hurt by the fact that it is an open world okay, game. Okay, let me articulate a little better. I think the issue with open world games is is that developers saw an easy-to-replicate formula, and that's all they made for a good long while, right? And only now are we starting to see deviations from that formula, like Breath of the Wild and Elden Ring and yeah. And stuff like that, that really kind of stand out. But, like, there's a reason why, like, the term Ubisoft game became a thing, right? Because yeah. despite, you know, Far Cry, Assassin's Creed, Ghost Recon, like, they all sort of had the same template of open world with towers that you explore to reveal extra sections in the map. And their open worlds are just menus. Like, they're just slower menus. <laughs> it's terrible. Essentially, yeah. yeah. yeah so, man. yeah, I, I feel like, I don't know. They open world definitely went in a funky direction that really kind of stagnated for a while. But I do think the in- invention of the open world was a really cool shift, right? I remember like when I first played an open world game, my mind was blown to pieces. I was just like, I can't believe this, right? It was Oblivion for me. Yeah, I think it was Oblivion. And yeah. when I played Oblivion, I was just like, I'm in this massive world and I can go anywhere and talk to anyone and like attack anyone. And it just, it just blew my mind because really everything did. was so constrained back Oblivion then. did feel, Oblivion, like, I guess the most recent I felt this way was Elden Ring, but Oblivion really felt like you could play it forever. Yeah, like, I remember thinking there that. There was yeah. no end in sight ever. But I, th- I think to be fair, a lot of people attribute the advent of the open world with Grand Theft Auto 3, but I've, yeah. or I've never actually played it. So I, I have, Theft Auto 3 is older than Oblivion. Yeah, I think yes. so. Yes, Grand Theft Auto 3 was 2000-ish? Also, Morrowind is essentially just as open as Oblivion. <laughs> yeah, f- funnily, funnily enough, I did start uh, a file on 2001. Morrowind. Okay. I started playing Morrowind on my Xbox Series X just for a little bit, just to check it out. Oh, it's it's borderline unplayable. Yeah, it's. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I mean, bless their heart. Like they boosted the frame rate to sixty and everything, but still, it's just rough. Nah, the the thing that killed me about Morrowind is that my I can swing, and I guess this is kind of a a transition in, in RPG games is that they don't really do this much anymore outside of turn based games. But if on my screen I see my sword hit, and then I see some text that says my sword missed. <laughs> that is unforgivable to me, and that is yeah. like ninety nine percent of my experience with Morrowind combat. But I no, hated I, it. The funniest thing about Morrowind to me was that like I took like one step forward, and I could see the world rendering in front of me. Like each uh, step you take forward, you can actually see more of the world render. That's so weird. like you basically exist in this bubble of that rendered console, world. They must not have been able to up the render distance on the console port because I didn't have that on the PC. Oh really? Okay. There was there was fog. For sure, but like maybe it, maybe it is the fog I'm thinking of. It but it definitely look looked like bad. it like, looked like it was <laughs> rendering. Almost. Granted, this was ten years ago. I played this, but okay, you know, it. I don't remember it being that bad. I don't. It's certainly not worse than Minecraft, for instance. Like, mm, okay, yeah. yeah, maybe I'm thinking of fog. But I think you know we do have to give credit where credits due. Like 
GTA, what was three San Andreas? No, San Andreas. Okay. No, San Andreas was after three. Okay, got it. Okay, it went three so, Vice City, then San Andreas. Yeah, GTA three. Great. I mean, open worlds weren't even a concept until that game, and then developers took the concept and ran wild with it. Right? Then we That's got not things really like true though. Why is it not true? I mean, Daggerfall was an open world. Oh, I mean, like the, P- okay. the PC RPG space had open worlds before that. Uh, the idea of using an open world in something that wasn't an RPG is what GTA 3 really did. Like, an open, realistic world with, like, a simulation going on and stuff. Like, the modern okay, open yeah, world I mean, idea. I get, I get what you mean, but, like, I don't know. Like, the open world as we know it today, I feel like GTA 3 yeah, probably pioneered. But, um, yeah, obviously for me, that was Oblivion the first open world game and then like i definitely for a long period of time fell in love with open world games like i would get my hands on all of them and i did not get tired of them until you know obviously we started getting the same games over and over see again. i i immediately I, my, I started the first assassin's creed game i played was two and i was immediately fatigued with the open world i thought it was pointless and dumb <laughs> So yeah. it took several Assassin's Creed games for me to feel that way. Like I played two Brotherhood Revelations four, and I think after four is when I started being like, okay, this formula is wearing a bit. Thin. I played a one through four, and I after four, I'm like, this right. is too much. And and what's really interesting, I actually liked four a lot. Uh, yeah. Four was really good, but Unity was like, where it like died. I skipped Revelations. I skipped, you know, I skipped around. I did, um, I think it's interesting, though, because I think, uh, GTA recently kind of, it kind of has one of the, GTA 5 is one, is both one of the best and worst open world games, because, like, when you're just messing around in the open world, GTA 5 is really fun, but the open world for sure hurts the story, like, it is not a fun game to drive to this location and now you've started the mission, which is to drive to this location. And no, now you're dude. at this location and the actual mission starts. That's bad game design. This is why, like, honest to God, this is why I cannot get into GTA. I've tried so many times. But it's extremely I extremely boring. Just yeah. driving from point A to point B and, like, doing these menial things. Like, I just don't it's get it, GTA man. Online is honestly better because GTA Online puts all that stuff in a menu. And it just puts you where you need to be. Yeah, I... You I don't can know. Mess so I think a lot of people had, but a lot of people like how realistic the city in Grand Theft Auto is, and maybe that's why they find it enjoyable to traverse the city. But like, it's not. I don't find like the, I don't want to be do stuck. Find it I don't want to be on a highway and like it's just. Ugh, I find I like driving it. in GTA when it's what I wanted to do. I like to just get in a car and zone out and drive around in GTA. Sometimes I find that fun. When I wanted to do a mission and actually do like some fun shooty gameplay and story and stuff, that's when the driving is just a tedious chore that I have to do. They really make you eat your vegetables, you know? Yeah, I guess, yeah. That's, I don't that's know. I, I think another element of it for me is like the escapism part where like, yeah, I can go like outside and drive around in DC if I really want to, but like, you know, I, I'm not going to see anything crazy and fantastical in a game like Grand Theft Auto. I think that is kind of a factor for me in That's my fair. enjoyment of those games. You have to make the crazy stuff happen, typically. Yeah. yeah. I mean, then again, if you play GTA Online, you would see uh, you would see crazy stuff happen when you just drive around. I, I yeah, think I, the GTA 5 Online multiplayer is actually quite good, despite all of its colossal faults. Like being No, I mean, it's definitely, like, I mean, there's certainly something there, you know. Like it's, yeah. it's the reason GTA 5 is the most 
successful entertainment property of all time. I was playing GTA 5 online with a couple friends because I have a couple friends who are super into it. Like, that's all they do. Yeah. And, like, he had, like, a flying car and, like, an alien yeah. gun and stuff. And I was just like, how? how is this? G- this is, like, more Saints Row than GTA. But Yeah, it does I, get that way quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I still can't believe GTA has managed to uh, parody itself. Yeah. Dude, Saints Row, by the way, very fun. I like Saints Row oh, yeah. a lot. Saints Row the third, yeah. at least. I did not care for Saints Row 4. I liked it. I-, I liked just playing through the story, and then I was tired of it. No, I definitely... No, Saints Row 3 was the one. I remember playing that with my buddies in high school. Yeah, that was super fun. And it kind of... It was kind of like the perfect open world for me, because it was so goofy, and so... It was just very silly all the time. And it, but it also had those moments that make you feel like you're on top of the world. Like the the music in that game was very good, and yeah. the, the way it made you feel powerful and stuff was extremely good. In ways that GTA has not matched. But then I don't know if any of you played Saints Row Four. No, Saints I Row did. Four gives you literal superpowers. Yeah, I saw that. And I wasn't really interested. Yeah, it was actually really kind of lame because like part of the power fantasy of Saints Row was getting a nice car. And then having superpowers made, like, all the car stuff was still there, but why would you ever use a car if you can fly? I think it was more in-depth, too. Yeah, no, it was better. But And I was like, maybe they should have not given you, like, the powers were fine, maybe they shouldn't have given you fast travel powers and stuff. I don't know. I also, like, this is a weird one, but there's, like, Saints Row 4 takes place in a virtual reality simulation thing, and there's, like, a weird filter over everything that honestly detracted from my enjoyment in a major way like (laughs) it was just so ugly because of this weird filter they put over the game for some reason yeah because it was like a very similar world to saints row 3 and they just put an ugly filter over it to make it look different yeah yeah that's kind of yeah icky but yeah in terms of like paradigm shifts i feel like there's i mean we can keep breaking it down and getting more really a paradigm into the minutiae yeah. For the, the grand scale of gaming, but there's a serious paradigm shift that was for me, which was like yeah, 2011 indie games hit the scene in a big way. And No, I, I mean, certainly, yeah. That, you know, that changed gaming forever for me personally, at least. I play a ton of indie games. I mean, in a sense, you can almost think of it having, you can almost there's think of fork. like V... Uh, yeah a fork much much like vr right that's kind of what i was getting at like vr is a new way to play indie games were a new way to play right like games games made by smaller games maybe that you know harken back to some arcade roots but you know have modern design philosophies behind them yeah and it's funny to see how indie and triple a games bounce off of one another because like you know, these indie pixel platformers started doing well, and what do you know? Mega Man 9 and 10 came out on the Wii, and they were throwback pixel art platformers, right. just like the classic Mega Man games, which were not what Mega Man 7 and 8 were. <laughs> and, and I mean, we got really, really excellent, like, referential love letters to older games, like Shovel Knight, right? Like, yeah. Shovel Knight oh is God, a brilliant yeah. game. Uh, Hollow Knight is, like is a brilliant, brilliant game. Games, arguably. <laughs> What's that? Shovel Knight is like four brilliant games, arguably. Right, the, yeah. The four different campaigns. But yeah, so I mean, like, because AAA developers at the time are only interested in moving forward, right? We've got these indie guys who are totally interested in making, like, the best, most idealized version of a game that would presumably exist in, like, the SNES era. Yeah. That's, that's great. Uh, no, Shovel Knight is actually NES. I, I know. It, is it really? It, yes. Uh, it it, it, it looks way too good. <laughs> I know. they, But they... 
they they bend the rules here and there, but no, that is NES. That's wild, man. They they adhere mostly to the rules of an NES color palette, I believe. Yeah, no NES I, game yeah. looks like that, but that is not really true. You should play Castlevania three and some of the later Mega Man games. Okay, they yeah. look. I mean, very, I'll take your word for it. I don't. Look, Castlevania especially is gorgeous. Like, yeah, it's nu- it's nuts to look at Castlevania and think like, how did they do that? Mm-hmm. It is. It is. I don't know. I do get a kick out of seeing what people can do with limited constraints. I feel like that's where creativity really kind of shines in these games. Yeah, this is actually a pet peeve of mine, but there's this Twitter account that they do Game Boy D-Make screenshots where they'll take something like a modern game or something and like, what would this look like as a Game Boy game? Yeah. All they do is use the Game Boy color palette and it kind of makes me Oh, that's dumb. And I think they stick to the resolution, but like they don't stick to like the sprite rules or anything like that. And it kind of like... If you're going to do it, do it right. Yeah, I mean... uh, (laughs) They look good. Like, don't get me wrong. These are gorgeous pieces of art, and I don't want to take away from that, but it's not what I want it to be. (laughs) It is a fun exercise, and you do see people doing it quite often on the internet. Like, I remember just a couple days ago on YouTube seeing, like, a PS2 Elden Ring, right? And, like, like, with cross shots with, like, PS5. Yes, yes, there is, yes. And that's actually quite brilliant. Yeah, that looks like that one's actually one playable, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I haven't looked at that yet. I need to. No, I think it might be the whole game. Really? Maybe. Surprised Sony didn't like send assassins after that guy. But. Yeah, really. I mean, they're uh, never going to release Bloodborne on PC, so it's a it's a net yeah. win. I they don't know, might. man. Like, don't take this away from me. They might. It's- it's one of those things where I feel like people happen. are just going to keep saying it and saying it and saying it until it just gets willed into existence. Eventually we'll have PS4 emulation. Yeah. Well, and that too, I guess. That won't be too much longer, probably. But yeah, I don't know. Like, another couple smaller shifts that come to mind is the shift caused by Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare. I feel like every FPS after that was kind of just copying that for a long, long time. Maybe until, like, Titanfall or something. I I mean... You could argue Titanfall still just copying it. Like, there, yeah. was, there was still, like, first-person shooters stopped being single-player games with Call of Duty Modern Warfare, basically, right? Like, the, the multiplayer became the focus. Was that, that, that was the game that really kicked that off, right? I mean, multiplayer was present in prior Call of Duties, but, like... I mean, I multiplayer mean, was present in Doom, I think. Yeah, I mean, Modern Warfare was the game, right? Like, yeah. that was the game. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that's why I thought Titanfall was a weird thing to say, because Titanfall infamously didn't have a campaign. It was just the multiplayer. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about which that. Which is funny, because then they, they clap back with Titanfall 2, which has one of the best, you know, right up there with Doom 2016 and Doom Eternal is, like, the best first-person shooter campaign I've ever played. Right. I do want to, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know if this is a shift necessarily, but, like, Minecraft by itself, I feel like, is almost kind of a shift it's weird because I don't think we've really, we've not seen a lot of stuff from Minecraft. Like, Dragon Quest Builders, a little bit. There's definitely been some focus on, like, player creation and player right. driven. But, like, I can't think of a single AAA game that I, other than Dragon Quest Builders, that I could point to that is, like, Minecraft clearly heavily inspired this. Like, th- there are things in Breath of the Wild that they claim Minecraft sort of inspired. But but really, that starts and ends with having crafting, I think. I mean, do you... Okay, so these might be a couple spicy takes, but do you think something like Little Big Planet would exist without Minecraft? 
think Little Big Planet's older than Minecraft, isn't it? Is it? Think? I think Little Big Planet was like 2009. I thought. What about something like Terraria? Terraria, I do not think would have existed. Uh, Little Big Planet was 2008, so yeah, that predates Minecraft by a bit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah don't um, give. Don't go giving Minecraft all the credit. Yeah, no, Terraria, though, Terraria definitely took a lot from Minecraft, and then a couple of games have taken a lot from Terraria. Like, I don't know that you get to Noita without Terraria. Uh, you might, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it is weird because you can't really see... I think Minecraft by itself, you know, weirdly enough, like, not even, like, games that it spawned, but by itself was a paradigm shifter. Like, I feel like the fact that Minecraft exists, it led to a whole kind of another fork, like you said before, like where people like some people make careers out of just making Minecraft videos. Some people only play Minecraft and you could presumably just play Minecraft forever just due to how moddable and flexible it is. Right. And it really certainly created the idea of like, hey, these sandbox procedurally generated games can be a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Minecraft really brought the voxel back into the uh, back into the eyes of the public. Right. Like I, I don't know that you get No Man's Sky without Minecraft. Actually, no, that's very fair. Yeah, uh, No Man's Sky. No Man's Minecraft. Yeah. So yeah, that I got. Well, No Man's Sky is not AAA either, although it kind of is. In a way. I mean, uh, I, I don't. No, no Man's, Man's Sky. Sky sits in a very weird place. <laughs> No Man's Sky is an indie game funded by Sony, so take that how you will. Yeah. So, uh, any other shifts you guys want to talk about? I feel I, like it's kind of tough to, once you get to smaller. Come back to the, the microtransaction shift because I thought that was sure. interesting that you all pointed to horse armor as like one of the firsts. But I, what year was Oblivion? That was in like 2008, wasn't it? That sounds early. No, that sounds late for Oblivion. But let's just do some. Check 2006 okay so it might have been the same year um because my my first ex- experience with microtransactions is maple story <laughs> for sure okay yeah and maple story was a korean game yes that was I, well over. yeah but maple story these korean mmos had a significant market penetration in the west and there's no there's no argument that they did not inform mobile game design and microtransactions because they made a killing like Maple Story came out. I want to say 2006, but it might be, uh, it might be 2002, 2003, April 29th, 2003. So yeah, Maple Story. Well, I mean, I around. feel like I don't know. I I guess I don't have too much experience with other MMOs, but did other MMOs of the time have microtransactions? It was not common. I mean, especially yeah. not Western MMOs. Uh, all Nexon MMOs did. Free-to-play MMOs came in a big way around when MapleStory came out, and I played many of them. I played a game called Flife that had a lot of microtransactions. Uh, I I never bought any. I played MapleStory, which had a ton. I eventually bought a few, I think. I wanted to customize my character. Uh, So it was like selling skins before that was a thing, more or less. And uh, not, not really the same. It was selling items, but, you know, arguably better. Uh, and then there was like Mobinogi I played. That was another Nexon one, another Korean game. Had a ton of microtransactions. Uh, actually, that Mobinogi probably had the most modern microtransactions because they were like buy it once. They weren't like trying to nickel and dime you constantly. There were many that you could buy one time and not, you know, they would get your money. They would get the money out of you that way. 
Well, I'm sure Western developers saw how successful that business model was and just kind of ran with it. Dude, while I'm talking about Flife, y'all should look up the soundtrack to that later. That game slaps. <laughs> Flife, what a name. F-L-Y-F-F. It is short I know. No, you t- we, yeah. we talked about it in our games of all time. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, that game's nuts. I do not recommend anyone play it. Yeah. For no. what it's worth. You did say the same thing in that <laughs> yeah. episode. I remember. Strong uh, unendorsement of that game. Yeah. Ah, it was fine for the time. Yeah. Does not hold up. Yeah. I mean, I guess that that's another, uh, you know, massive online games was a pretty big shift that is still ongoing, especially with the metaverse stuff happening now. I, I guess. Games, I feel like we're... become co- massively social. That's yeah. true. Yeah. I feel like we're kind of just talking about genres now, but I guess they're connected. You know? I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess if we're just going to call all massively multiplayer games one genre, but I would not necessarily put Maple Story in the same genre as Destiny. Mm, no, you're right. I wouldn't either. Yeah. Anything else? I mean, I, I'm. I mean, there's a weird shift in the uh, in the late 2000 or early 2010s, late 2000s to making good PC games. <laughs> <laughs> that was the wildest one. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, you can, you can like, play games back to, like, 2010 or something, and they all kind of behave consistently and in a way you would expect, but you can go back and play, like, the old PC port of Battlefront 2, and that game, it's the wild, wild west of UI in there. It is wild to try to get through those menus. Yeah. I mean, look at oh my every Bethesda game. What a, what a shift the introduction of Steam is. Was it a shift... Or was it a bad shift? I argue, I argue for the superior client, EA's Origin. Uh, okay. Now the new sponsor of this podcast. There is an argument that consolidating all PC game sales into one store is a bad thing. And that's fair. Monopolies are bad. However, I don't know if you guys have tried to use an installer on a disc in your life. It's oh, not a God. good experience. That's awful. <laughs> or, or when you have to like enter like a series of characters from like page nine of the instruction manual to prove that you bought the game or whatever because they have their whack drm no believe it or not like i did have a couple like pc games on disc back in the day when i was really young and uh you speak the truth yeah it was was a strange experience considering what we have now spore came out in like 2007 i think and it you know fan fan favorite game of the show spore uh Definitely sits in a weird spot because I remember doing the installer and everything, and that game was whack. But then the actual UI in the game was actually very, very good. But then you know, that's yeah, the I feel like Steam sense. Steam was like the whole advent of the digital storefront, right? Yeah, like yeah, that that changed everything, really. Yeah. Uh, oh my god, and the Steam sales back in the day, mm. the potato sack, very nostalgic. You, you I could, did you could uh, have forty dollars in your pocket, and you could get you could walk away with. 30 games. <laughs> I think the two games that I remember that I had discs for, one was like Roller Coaster Tycoon, and the other was like some SpongeBob game. Battle. And was I remember Battle? having to insert the disc and like install it oh God, from the disc. The original PC Battle for Bikini Bottom. I don't think it was Battle for Bikini Bottom. It was like another weird. Wasn't the original SpongeBob PC game. Battle for Bikini Bottom like a collection of mini games? Yeah, it was a very different game. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I I can't remember what it was. I but. had I had a weird Rugrats game growing up. Oh my god, I had uh, dude, you just opened up like a whole can of worms for me. I had <laughs> oh these, no, I had these Tonka games, right? 
And I don't know I don't how know this works is. because you can't, you don't know what Tonka is? Like the trucks and stuff? No. Mike, do you know, do you know Tonka? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like the, the construction worker, he's got like the big, uh, the big like American dad jawline. Anyway, I had a <laughs> bunch of those that had these sick like toys that strapped onto your keyboard and like you would press specific stuff on the toy and it would press a key under it on the keyboard. Yeah. There was like a, there was like a bunch of a hammer and like, Dude, stuff those games were sick i played oh, them so much i wonder where they are now game talk plays we play the Dude, tonka yeah, I games might, i might have to stream those games sometimes Jeez, <laughs> if i could get them to run on windows 11 <laughs> there's no way there's i'm no still way. on windows 10 by the way i'll downgrade resisting. i'll downgrade to windows Dude, xp windows for tonka 11, windows 11 kind of sucks so far so i would not upgrade i figured yeah <laughs> it's it's i mean uh the auto HDR is really nice, but the rest of it's pretty bad. I, I think that Windows 11 is a significant part of why my GPU is crashing, but because I got a Windows update right before that started. So, I mean, Microsoft has tried a couple times, but I've, I've turned them down each time. But eventually I know they'll just force install it because that's what they do. I, uh, well, I, this is totally unrelated to the podcast, but I'm going to whine about it anyway. I got put on Windows 11 Pro. By what has to be a clerical error because my key is Windows 10 Home Edition. And somehow I ended up with Windows 11 Pro evaluation copy, which is not something I consented to being installed onto my computer. And I'm pretty sure that's why I'm having issues. And it also has a watermark on it that I can't get rid of without reinstalling my OS, which would delete all my data. (laughs) Man, I would be. I feel for you. That's really annoying. Yeah. I don't know how I got here. But the, also, out. being a so- the longer I'm a software engineer, the more inept I am with computers. Dude, right? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like such a boomer most of the time. <laughs> really bad, actually. <laughs> no, I can definitely relate to that. Oh, this episode kind of went off the rails. Do yeah. we want to? Do we have any other big shifts? I'm sure we we've missed a few, but we covered the big one. Steam ones. opening the gates of not safe for work oh, content. Yeah, that was. Oh god, I peaked that entire section. Oh no. Let us it's know. Okay. And I might have fun on Twitter <laughs> and on our Discord at, at Podcast Game Talk and our Discord link is in the description. <laughs> what paradigm shifts did we miss? Cuz there was that period where the front page of Steam just had a had a what was it? A hentai visual novel. That was on the front page of yes, Steam. Yes, it was a top seller. Mike, I got they- that. Oh, okay. If it was a top seller, I was going to yeah, say yeah. I got bad news no, for you it was a top the front seller. page of Steam is customized per person. No, it was recommended to literally everybody I know. I'm like, what is well, this? It was. Not- <laughs> I was gonna say, no, it, it was really it was top seller. Save you That's- there. I don't know why it was a top seller, and I don't know why it was like promoted on Steam, but it was. Yeah, there's nothing there right now. It was Unless a Midnight year or two ago. Now, Midnight Ghost Hunt looks pretty tame. Does yeah, okay? Was, so does Steam rarity. allows developers to like pay to have them be on the front page? No. Um, no, because I, I know Sony's storefront does that. You cannot pay to be on the front page of Steam. Uh, new and trend, yeah, new and trending. I, I don't actually know how that one is evaluated, but you have top sellers, popular upcoming. Yeah, I think specials. it was on new and trending, is what it was. It was like top of new and trending, and I'm like, why did I? Why am I recommended this game? I have never touched anything that relates to these tags on Steam. <laughs> on Steam, <laughs> I like that addendum. <laughs> Or anywhere, really. All right. I don't play like visual novels. Everybody's played Doki Doki Literature Club. I have not. You're you're in the wrong then. I have never played Doki Doki Literature Club. 
game's really good. I that played really uh, good game. the only Despite good the visual title. novel. Uh, All right. I, I love think you, Colonel Sanders. I think we've dragged this on long enough. <laughs> yeah. Do we want to talk the... about? Yeah. Yeah. I have two games actually this week, so I don't yeah, know how I don't, wanna... I don't have any yet. I got to think. I got one. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll start then. So I've been playing Ghost Runner, Mike. I know oh, you, you boy. were playing it. I think we actually showed that uh, on video for one episode. Yeah, but. it was it was covered. Oh, yeah. But yeah. me being the slowpoke I am, right, like, what, like a year, two years after you played it, Mike, I'm in love with this game. Uh, I'm playing it on PlayStation 5 at 120 frames per second, and it's glorious. I mean, like, it's just so fast and frenetic, and it gets your bump, blood pumping, and, like, I love the hardcore nature of it, right? Like, you die in one hit, you kill everyone in one hit, and... Um, it's just cool, man. It's just this cool cyberpunk. You're this ninja robot thing with a sword. And uh, you can, like, even parry bullets, deflect bullets, if you, like, time your sword slashes correctly. And it's just, I don't know. I guess I was still craving something Pain. difficult, maybe, after Elden Ring. And uh, this is definitely scratching the itch I was looking for. Um, and... I just love the movement in this game. Like, you're constantly parkouring off of walls and, like, dashing around enemies and stuff like that. It's just so quick and snappy. And, like, if you're not tuned in, if you're not in the zone, you're not going to be able to play this game. Like, this is a definitely not, like, a sit-back, relax kind of game. Um, but, like, everything leads to that uh, atmosphere, right? Like, the the music is this synth, like, percussive, like, constantly pounding beat. And like, the genre is called cyberpunk. Right, yeah, it's a cyberpunk game, right? Like, So the aesthetic's really cool. Um, actually, like playing this game made me think, like, God, I kind of want to play Cyberpunk 2077 now. But uh, I, I don't know. I'll probably check and see if that's in a it playable also, it, state. It came out in the best period because it was in the lead up to cyberpunk. And it filled literally everyone who was excited for cyberpunk's hype. Better than Cyberpunk did. Better than Cyberpunk did. Yeah, I no, this game is totally delivering, and I I think I'm like over halfway now. I'm actually, you know what's fun? Like I remember the episode we recorded when when uh, you were playing it, Mike, and you were fighting that boss I was with fighting like hell. those lasers and stuff. I forget or, the name. Or the uh, the tower, the watchtower, dude. Yeah, the tower. You were doing the tower, and I the just. Tower sucks. I just recently did that. That was so hard, man. Like I was it's, raging so hard. <laughs> It took I, me a couple tries to do, I, but then I just I got found it. a newfound respect for you because you did that while we were recording, and I have no earthly idea how you were able to do that because I yeah, would I not. I think the first time I did it, I was streaming it. Yeah, I would not be able to talk and do that at the same time. That is just it was it was very difficult. That's Mike's secret. <laughs> yeah, <I> just, <laughs> right. He's not talking yet. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just like vocalizing my thoughts straight to the recording software. Right. But no, like, uh, I'm super into this game. Like, I, I have it in my mind that I'm going to platinum it, which is kind of kind of insane. Uh, you don't like, start games without platinuming, plat getting the platinum, right? No, I don't. I, that's not necessarily true. Like, I, I often look at the trophy lists, and if they seem kind of BS, that I just play the game to play the game. But, like, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play the game through all the way, and then obviously go back and try and get all the missing collectibles and stuff and and that sort of thing the story is interesting to me like i'm not too invested but i just more am into the insane gameplay of this game which is just so good um and i 
yeah, I definitely recommend it if you're into cyberpunk and like fast play paced melee action parkour games or or anything like that. That's one shot, one kill. Yeah, one shot, Difficult. one kill. It's uh, and there's no difficulty options. It's just that's what the game is. And let me tell you, at 120 frames per second, this game is just a dream to play. Because, like, cer- certain actions require really precise inputs, like the bullet deflection and stuff like that. And, like, the the extra frames certainly help there. Uh, so, I think that is the first game I've been playing. Does someone else want to go next? Maybe Mike? Uh, well, I found a little indie game last night called Paunch. P-A-U-N-C-H. Paunch. And it's about... It's it's a one-on-one fighting game, kind of, where your objective is you're a very large man, and you must uh, eliminate the other large man, either by punching him or throwing boulders at each other. <laughs> that sounds like fun. Oh, it's it's a blast. It's it had to have been. It's all like default assets for Unity, but man, is it actually enjoyable. And there's one boulder that will end the game instantly if you get hit with it. So, it just was me and my friend chasing each other around and throwing boulders at each other, hoping. So, it was, it's like a it's like a two-player game? Yeah, it's two-player. And the netcode's better than anything Nintendo's ever produced. Very low nice. bar. Very low bar, but it is a bar. It, it kind of reminds me of like the indie games like Nidhogg and stuff, where it's just you and one person going at it. Dude, Nidhogg is good. It's also apparently tagged on stream for or on Steam for hentai and sexual content, which that I seems... can I can claim that there's none of those. That's how you're getting those ads, though. That's the first time. Uh, I'm starting to sense a theme ooh, with you, Mike. Uh oh, <laughs> is it the planes? Yes, it's the. Planes. Hey, I totally did install mods for Ace Combat. Oh no, I didn't. I... But, but yeah, that's, that... that's Ponch. Ponch. That's that's a great name. <laughs> I All right, Connor. How about you? Been playing it, but I've been thinking about an old game called Cluster Truck a lot recently. Yeah, yeah. Have you guys heard of it? Yeah, it's that truck jumping game. So. Yeah, it's it's a first person platformer where you just jump from truck to truck and you try to get to the end of the level as fast as possible. And if you touch anything that's not a truck, you die. <laughs> uh, and the trucks, notably, are like they're like eighteen wheelers and they're going down the road. It was uh, it was a pretty big indie game. I think I might have actually talked about it on the show back in the day because me and my friend got really into speed running it for a bit, uh, competing with each other to get you know to get the best times on some of the easier levels. Yeah, and that was extremely fun because it was one. It was heavily RNG based because every once in a while the truck physics would bug out and just launch you to the end of the level. Yeah, it was a it was a fun game. Good aesthetic, pretty fun. Would recommend it if you know if you've been sitting on it. It's very, I, I think the reason I'm thinking about it, I keep seeing it on TikTok and I don't know why because it's from like 2013. All right. So I guess I can round us off. I've been playing. I got another one as well to round round the episode off. Okay, cool. Uh, I've I'll been think playing... of one too. Don't worry. <laughs> Great. <laughs> awesome. Why don't we all just think of 20 more games? Keep it going. I got like four more games I can talk about. Um. So I've been playing Kirby. Uh, yeah. And the um, real, the real good game of the year. Yeah, Connor, have you played any more Kirby? I have not played any more of it yet, no. Okay, yeah, no. So I've been playing Kirby, and it's such a charming game. I really like it. Um, I've been playing mostly in handheld mode because uh, playing it on my TV kind of was making me sick. Really? 
it was just the scaling resolution and the 30 frames per second it was just not ideal I, I for me I that yeah i uh cuz i played it on all on my tv and i i am usually very susceptible to motion sickness yeah i, I mean it didn't really I, I wouldn't say sick but it made me uncomfortable i would say but definitely i think it really shines in handheld mode and uh yeah it's just i use the word charming i think that's exactly what it is it's just uh a collection of levels with increasingly very creative uses for kirby's powers and very creative uses for the new mouthful mode which uh i've seen some pretty crazy stuff uh i've seen kirby eat some pretty crazy things with, with oh that mode. no don't so. say that that is not that is illegal i don't want to look at your steam history i saw him eat some stairs yeah, he can eat, like, stairs. Mike, you're the one who took it there, so... Oh, no, I've been outed. This is the episode where I gotta resign from the internet. <laughs> I've been I've been outed as a degenerate. No. But, yeah, I do really like that you can... Ha- like, you have that Waddle Dee hub where you can, like, yeah, see cute. all the Waddle Dees that you save, and, like, they eventually build, like... Yeah, you can hang out in Kirby's house. They eventually build, like... No, you can't eat the Waddle Dees. You can't eat. Oh man, there. That's it. I I can't buy the game. I do. It's like rule one. They did lose me on one thing in the multiplayer. In uh, Kirby Star Allies, when you, one of you would eat food, if you went up to another character, you would kiss them to give them some of the food. And in this game, it's a high five, and I I really feel like <laughs> censored Kirby. <laughs> I've canceled Kirby. Yeah, like, I have. Kirby, why can't Kirby and Bandana Waddle Dee share a passionate kiss? Is my question. <laughs> Jeez. Okay. Um, but I haven't played multiplayer yet in this game. But I I was gonna say I do like how you can upgrade your powers and stuff like that. I think that's really cool. And the levels themselves, like, so I don't know how far you got, Connor, but I think I'm in the third overall like world area. I think I was in the carnival when I quit. Okay, I'm in the same area, yeah, like yeah. the the theme park stuff. Yeah. And it's it's just great, man. Like it's it's a it's a fun uh adventurous I got Kirby weird. game. I got kind of near automata vibes from the carnival, which was kind of funny. Hmm. That's curious. Yeah. You should play. But yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to yeah. seeing like you know how you mentioned Connor like Kirby games take a turn for like the I have heard that it gets pretty buck wild in the third act. Yes, yeah. exactly. So right now it's all pretty tame and cute, but I'm gonna looking forward to see how all of that sort of devolves into alien existential horror. So Yeah. I I didn't get far enough to see it. And that's usually the best part of the game, like by a lot. I mean just just for an example, Kirby Planet Robobot you find out that, like, the dude who's trying to destroy Planet Popstar is trying to do it to bring his dead daughter back to life. And then you find out that his dead, his daughter's not actually gone. She's actually there possessing a robot or something named Susie. And she's trying to stop her father from destroying Planet Popstar. And for some reason, they couldn't just have that conversation. And then Kirby has to fight the supercomputer, which, you know, turns itself into a god. And... Uh, is about to destroy the entire universe because it's trying to grant a wish that it can't because she was never gone. And it is can't there bring. a Japanese game that doesn't end with you fighting God? Ace you Combat, Devil May Cry. <laughs> that, I don't think I've I'd have God to see that to believe him. Devil May Cry Five. Uh, you do not fight any gods. I don't think you you fight Virgil. You help Virgil He's not a god. He's to a half get demon. Yeah, you fight Virgil to get Virgil. You help Virgil fight Virgil to make Virgil. 
Yeah. Right? But Virgil is not a god. One day I'll understand that. <laughs> In the first one, yeah. you do fight so, a god, though. So there's, there's V, and then there's Virgil. But then you realize they're both Virgil. Just two halves that of Virgil that you need to Virgil. It's an old game. It is also obvious if you've played the franchise. Yeah, just just bla- <laughs> it's just Virgil. It's all Virgil. Everything. I'm not going to remember any of this when I finally play those games. So yeah. you should really but, do it, by the way, because oh my god. No, I will. I've especially I actually thought about it a lot recently. So you, I, it, I it's I might- a good palate cleanser after Elden Ring, in my opinion, because it's very uh, the skill ceiling is very high. Yeah, I'm kind of using uh, the uh, Ghost Runner for that. Ghost Runner but- for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for Kirby, like, I guess another thing I'll say is I'm not as experienced with Kirby games as Connor is, but like, this is Kirby's first 3D outing and it felt like right at home, right? Like, you could have told me Kirby 3D games have been coming out for like 10 years and I would have believed you, right? Like, this is, there's no growing pains at all. Like, it feels great. Like, it feels totally natural. Like, the level design is great. The enemy placement is great. And, uh. The only thing, I guess, it's not really a complaint, but, like, especially coming off of, like, Elden Ring and Ghost Runner. You're about to complain so, about Kirby being easy. It's so easy, man. Like, it's just... Because they even had this thing where you start the game, it's like, do you want to play it in wild mode? Yeah. And it's just like, yes, yeah, sign me up for wild, wild mode. mode? Yeah, and, I, and, and wild better. mode was just, like, baby's first game. It'll so I can't imagine what, like... Act. It really will, but not... Okay. Not by much. It'll get to like Mario game level difficulty. I would say. Like, okay, I think that's an acceptable level of difficulty because right now it really feels like a game designed for babies. And granted, the but, platforming never gets hard because like you can't take away the fact that Kirby can fly. Like, yeah, <laughs> the the platforming will never be hard. But right, yeah, some of the the later boss fights will likely be a little harder. And like Kirby has a tendency to like, like in Planet Robobot, it was called Meta Nightmare where you would play through the game a second time as Meta Knight with a timer and like health pickups were rare and it was yeah. just a, it was a harder way to play the game. I wouldn't be surprised if there's something like that in there. But yeah, okay. you, you cannot come to Kirby expecting a challenge because it will not. Yeah, I know. Like, and again, I'm coming from a position of where I've played two extremely difficult games, but like, yeah. it's still like, you know, it seems a tad much on the, on the difficulty. The the lack of difficulty, I should say. It is supposed to be like baby's first platformer. Like, yeah, it is very much like Mario's hard for you. We still have Kirby. Like, it is yeah. not. No, I mean, like difficulty aside, I just really enjoy the character of Kirby. Like, yeah. Kirby's super cute. I really like you know his copy ability and just that he eats a lot. I think it's I, pretty I funny. Love the Kirby lore. <laughs> Kirby. Yeah, the lore. Yeah, I've, no. I'm, I need I need to get into the lore a bit, but like definitely from what I've heard from you, it gets. Uh, I mean, insane. You have to read into it for it to get stupid, but it is yeah. there, right? So I mean, that's like rule one of Kirby, really, isn't it? Yeah, is that the lore is absolutely nutty? Well, I don't, yeah. I, I, you can't really call it rule one because it's not. I mean, the lore is not nutty in the first Kirby game. The first Kirby game is King Dedede stole a bunch of food and Kirby was hungry, so he went and beat him up, like. <laughs> That's, Sounds about right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that was before copy abilities were even a thing. You've ever been so hungry you'd go beat up somebody because they stole your food? Probably as a kid, yeah. But yeah, overall, super enjoying it. And it's a nice kind of like dichotomy, you know, like playing a little Ghost Runner, playing a little Kirby. They kind of like even each other out, so. For sure. Yeah. 
All right. How about you, Mike? So this is less of actually playing the game, and this is more of the experience of spending six hours modding it. I spent six hours modding Oblivion. Whoa. All in one <laughs> sitting. So uh, is Thomas the Tank Engine like wreaking havoc in your game now? No. No. I spent less time modding Skyrim than I did Oblivion, because Oblivion is built like a straw house. And sometimes one mod that works previously will just stop working. Yeah, I, I remember trying to mod Oblivion uh, in the pre-Skyrim days, and it's just not a smooth experience. Like, at least at least, Obli- at least Skyrim, you could, you could throw as much into it, and it'll still keep chugging along. Hopefully. But <laughs> Oblivion, if it doesn't like a certain mod, it'll just It'll just stop working, like, entirely. The game won't even launch. Yeah. So I'm assuming you got to a point where you could play it. Uh, I, I often did not when I was trying to mod it. I, the fun uh, was modding it, not Yeah, the, it. Fun, the fun's always modding the game. Yeah. <laughs> you, you I, I've mod had... the game and get it to a stable state, play it for five minutes and realize you don't really want to do this anymore. Play it for yeah, five minutes else. and then realize I need more mods. So you put more mods and then the game will crash. Then you spend another five hours troubleshooting, going through your mod list, reinst- uninstall Oblivion, reinstall Oblivion. The work reinstall all your mods game doesn't launch gotta make a patch make the patch game launches more mods repeat the cycle until eventually it is dark outside you haven't eaten in seven hours and your oblivion still doesn't run properly so was it worth it yes (laughs) 100 percent. it was the fun was the friends we made along the way not the actual playing of oblivion just as todd intended I can respect that. I don't Is actually have another game. Uh, anyway, I did play Skyrim. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's, I'm not going to talk that's fully. Obscure. <laughs> What's Skyrim? It's I, that game you can play on your fridge. Oh, my and God. Your Alexa. And your Alexa. And your Nintendo Switch. And your Steam Deck. And your Steam Deck. If you are so blessed. Your mobile phone. You want to play Skyrim s- on mobile? Yeah, it has to be away. Well, you can Steam Remote Play. Yeah, you can play any game. On you can <laughs> you can play you can play it in your car. You own a Tesla, you can play it. And this is how we're going to end the podcast. We're just going to keep labeling <laughs> like Skyrim places. Jeez, it's <laughs> never going to go away. <laughs> bring, bring us out, I mean, I'm going to keep going. If we don't. All right, Connor. I I don't actually have another game. Oh wait, hold on, I got another game. Don't worry. This I just been to sound annoying. Feel I like, don't have another game. I feel like you guys are intentionally making this the most difficult to edit episode. You can leave that joke in there. That's not that bad. <laughs> oh, I mean, you're going to have a fun time of my audio because it's been randomly peaking. So, like, the audio levels I really don't care about because I run everything through this algorithm that really kind of equalizes everyone, so. Yeah, I might have a little clipping, fine. so it might be a little stinky here and there. Well, my audio is immaculate. Yeah, usually it's my audio lately that has the issues, and I don't know why. Because like, you listen the audio. to everything so loud. <laughs> I can't well, imagine. I think if I put my volume on 100%, with, and we have the same pair of headphones, I think. If I listen to anything on 100%, I think it would hurt my ears very badly. <laughs> I'm on, uh, let's see, 30, 26% right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm on 35 now, so I'm still listening higher than you. I go as high as... The 30s when I'm listening to music and stuff or playing games. I, I, I have my stuff through 52. an amp. I'm always amped up and everything's at max volume. I, I can't. Yeah, I'm hear kind of that way outside. too. I like I like blasting it. But. I die. No, I I value my hearing too much. 
What's hearing? All right. I think that's going to do it for us this week. Thank you all for listening. You can follow set. My voice cracked. My voice cracked. <clears throat> There's phlegm in my throat. Okay. You can follow us at, at Podcast Game Talk. Uh, uh, yeah, it's harder than it looks, right? It is. I don't. I know the. I know the intro. I don't know the. Check outro. us out on uh, on Twitter at Podcast Game Talk. Yeah, that's it's getting there. Hey, <laughs> uh, welcome to Game Talk. I'm your host, Amid Me. <laughs> nope, hey, nope. We already Game did Talk. that. I'm your host, Amid Me. Close it out. Hey, why don't you two close it out? Go ahead. Game Talk. <laughs> Woo. I don't know the outro. <laughs> do not. I, I am so tuned out by the time you're doing the outro. I do not Mentally, know Mentally, my brain just shuts off after I say my piece at the end of games we've been playing. I'm waiting All for right. my cue to say see you guys next week. All right. Well, yeah, I'll here, just be silent. All right. That's going to do it for us this week. Thank you all for listening. You can follow us at Ad Podcast Game Talk on Twitter. Please like, rate, and review us on any podcast you use. Any podcast service you use, including Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, etc. Click the link in the description of this podcast to join our Discord and talk to us there. Thank you, Connor and Mike. Yeah, see you guys next week. See you next time. Bye. So... Why don't we just record that once and just put it in? <laughs> if it's such That's, a pain. I'm not taking any questions on that. <laughs> no, that's probably a really good idea. Yeah. But also, I don't know. I think it takes away some of the flavor. Yeah. We, we do put a little sauce on it every time. <laughs>